everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Okay, guys, I have a question for everybody in the room. Have you guys heard of John 3.16? Just raise your hand. Now, if you're not raising your hand, that's okay. There's not judgment here. But even if you weren't raised in the church, you've probably seen John 3.16 because it's, it's like everywhere in the culture. Uh, Tim Tebow had it drawn on his eyelids. It showed up in football games and on The Simpsons even. Okay, next question. How many of you guys remember memorizing John 3.16? How many of you still remember the words of John 3.16? It's, again, it's okay if you don't. It's a fairly common thing when you're a kid, if you're in the church, or if you're uh, new to faith, a new Christian, that John 3.16 is one of those verses that you commit to memory. And it becomes, or it can become, maybe it should become one of those verses that just continuously rumbles around in your heart and brings uh, perspective to your entire life. So fill in the blanks with me. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son shall not perish but have everlasting life. Good job, guys. Do you know John 3, 17? Not as many people. Some of you do. We'll get to John three seventeen here in a second. Um, I would like to just begin by showing you a clip from the TV show, The Chosen. We've been watching, as a church, uh, two episodes a week. And in this episode, uh, Jesus sits down with a man named Nicodemus. Uh, Alongside that, we've been inviting you to read the book of Luke. And you might be thinking, last week was out of the book of John. John 3.16 also turns out not to be in the book of Luke. But uh, what you didn't know is for the month of October, I'm going to invite everybody to then read the book of John. So between reading the book of Luke in September and the book of John in October, you're going to get a whole lot of Jesus, okay? But uh, let's, let's watch this clip from The Chosen. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. 
mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Anything like this before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. This is the frame through which we understand the heart of God. And one thing um, that I want you to take away from today is to realize that the God that we love has generosity that knows no bounds. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's generosity knows no bounds. And so let's open up the Bibles that maybe some of you brought. If you didn't, there are Bibles in the back there that have the page numbers that will go along with the page numbers there on the screen. And we'll look uh, at kind of the bigger context of John chapter 3 and Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. As you turn there, remember that Jesus is living in a world that's fairly different than ours, uh, even though human nature hasn't changed much. Uh, he is living in a world that is saturated with like religious and spiritual knowledge and conversation and understanding. Uh, they are living in Judea, which at the time is being governed by 
Rome. So the Roman Empire has reached its arm out and controls through mostly military might most of that Mediterranean area that surrounds the Mediterranean Sea, including Judea. And so everybody in Israel is thinking, when will the Messiah come? Or Messiah being the Hebrew, when will the Christ come? That's Greek for Messiah. When will the Christ come and rescue us from these Roman oppressors? But the message of Jesus is very consistent. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It is a heavenly one. I am coming to save you not from the Romans, but from your sin. And so Jesus is talking to a Pharisee and not just any Pharisee. This Pharisee is a teacher or a rabbi. So if you remember from a couple weeks ago, he would have been the best of the best of the best as he went through Torah school and learned, memorized the rest of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. He would have been uh, a disciple under a, a probably a pretty prominent rabbi for him to ascend into his role or post in the Sanhedrin. We find this out later in the book of John. But the Sanhedrin is a collection of 71 uh, religious leaders made up of priests, but also Pharisees, who would have been the religious conservatives of the day, and Sadducees, which would have been the religious progressives or liberals of the day, all together come and govern, not just what we would consider religious issues, but like they had the power to condemn someone to death by stoning. They had the power to help settle legal disputes. The Sanhedrin was modeled on the elders that Moses calls in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He calls elders together to help him govern the people, 70 in fact. The reason there's 71 people in the Sanhedrin is because Moses became that extra one. So 71 leaders in the Sanhedrin of which Nicodemus would have been one. So he's not only a rabbi, not only a religious leader, he's one of the, the cream of the crop, recognized, uh, as the chosen put it, teacher of teachers. A lot of honor for Nicodemus. He meets with Jesus in John chapter 3 at night, most likely because he has a lot to lose if he is seen with Jesus. The Sanhedrin doesn't agree on a whole lot because there are conservatives and liberals trying to make decisions together, but they do agree on one thing, and that is pretty much all of them don't like Jesus. Nicodemus being a Pharisee gets a lot of, the Pharisees get a lot of attention in the New Testament because they really don't like Jesus. So you cannot like Jesus and you can really not like Jesus. Most of his buddies really don't like Jesus because Pharisees took not only the Old Testament very seriously, they built up an entire tradition of rules that they expected everybody to follow and that if they followed, then they would have right standing with God. Uh, later on, they put all these extra rules in a book called the Mishnah. And just for instance, uh, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, there's like Ten Commandments and the, is it the third one, the fourth one. The fourth one is keep the Sabbath day, honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's number four, right? I think it's number four. Is it number three? Four. It's four. 
No gods, no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath, number four. They wrote like 26 chapters expounding what that little commandment meant. Right down to the level of you can only take so many steps from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, which would have been their Sabbath. So the Pharisees had a lot of external religious rules, and Jesus is constantly saying, no, I care about your hearts. The Pharisees believed that they would be the ones to recognize who the Messiah was when he came. And so for the Pharisees to look at Jesus and say, not a chance, not the Messiah, was pretty, um, pretty weighty. But Nicodemus takes the chance, well, he's not taking too big of a chance because he's doing this at night, but he takes the chance to go and meet with Jesus. And we'll see why here in a second. John chapter three, verse one, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So because Nicodemus sees the miracles of Jesus attached to the teachings of Jesus, even though the teachings of Jesus are like incredibly radical to him, the miracles kind of poke his paradigm for what God might say. So he feels suddenly like the way he had made sense of the world has been challenged and he needs to take this new evidence because of the miracles of Jesus to open his mind to the fact that maybe Jesus is for real. Like Jesus is actually telling the truth, speaking the truth. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaims Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? In other words, Nicodemus would have had the entire Old Testament memorized, but this born again language from Jesus doesn't match anything that he knows. This is like a new concept, a new frame, a new way to understand what God is doing in the world. And so uh, Nicodemus goes to kind of the black and white. Uh, I, I only kind of live in this material world of understanding what it means to obey and what being righteous might look like, right? So he goes back to kind of the, the outward stuff of, do you mean I have to go in, back into my mother's womb? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are, things, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole, 
in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want to pause there again and talk about God's generosity. It's, it's actually very generous of Jesus to meet with Nicodemus at all, considering uh, most of Jesus' interactions with Pharisees are very, um, well, they come at him with condemnation. They come at him with judgment. Jesus is willing to make space in his life for someone who belongs to a group that has done nothing but criticize him. Now Jesus shows even more so the generosity of God by saying God has given his one and only son so that people don't have to perish in their sin but can have this new God life that I am bringing. And so, I, I mean, I think we need to ask ourselves if God has a generosity that knows no bounds, where are the limits of our own generous hearts? Where do we become actually very un, not generous? Where do we become stingy? Is it with our money? Is it with our time? Is it with our friendships? Is it with the way that we judge people? Where does our generosity reach its limit? And what can we do to expand our hearts just a little so that our hearts are a little more like the, the heart of God? A God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so my challenge to you this week is to find an opportunity in the next seven days to give something away. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a thing. Not like a junk thing. <laughs> like a treasured thing. To see someone in need and to give it out of like this heart of pure, generous love. If or when you do that, I would love to hear because I, I would just love to share what God is doing in our community. And I would keep you anonymous, of course. But what can you do this week to expand the limits of your own heart and become more generous? John 3.17, here it is. I told you it was coming. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I talk about this occasionally, but in the Bible, there's basically two words in the Greek, original kind of translation of the Bible that come into our English language as judge. One of the, uh, one of the Greek words is uh, diakrino, and this is the kind of judging that we all actually do and the Bible doesn't speak against. It's when you look at two options, you're trying to decide which one is better, and then you you act on that judgment. And so it might be, well, should I take this $5 bill and put it in the four corners box? Or should I take this $5 bill and go to Starbucks and buy like the smallest drink on the menu? Because that's all you get, right? 
<laughs> like, what should I do with this $5 bill? What should I do with my Friday night? Where, or where should I turn? Which route on Google Maps should I take to get to the Eagles game, for instance? Don't trust Google Maps on Sunday morning driving to the Eagles game, right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, I was at the Eagles game last week. Thank you, Frank. I don't, you're not here. You're probably in kids. Anyway. Uh, the other kind of crino, the crino that uh, the Bible repeatedly tells us, don't do this, is the crino that means to like stand as a judge and evaluate someone's heart. And uh, especially, it usually comes across as to condemn. That's where we get into trouble, right? When we start to judge people's motives. This kind of judgment happens when someone cuts you off in the parking lot at the Eagles game and you think this person is a horrible human being. Or maybe it's more colorful than that. I don't know what you say or do. But that it's the, you look at someone's actions and you assume you know their heart. Maybe this someone is someone with political power that you don't even know but see on TV and hear on the news, right? Maybe this someone is someone you're related to. Maybe, this, maybe you're married to this someone and you're, you're, you use that crino mindset to say, you didn't do the dishes. Sorry, I don't know, the dishes just keep coming up. Allison and I have actually come together, my wife and I. We, we don't fight about the dishes very often anymore. I do them her way now. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> you not doing the dishes means that you don't care about me, right? Like you jump to the motive place. That's crino. Jesus says, uh, John 3.17, God sent his son into the world not to crino, not to condemn, not to judge, but to save. And so my question to you is, why do Christians spend so much time condemning the world if Jesus came to save it? That's a rhetorical question. There are probably different ways to answer that question. I think one, the obvious answer is like, we should stop spending our time and energy condemning the world because that's not what Jesus spends his time doing. What if we spent more time trying to, this word salvation can mean like to heal, to bring wholeness, to, to bless, <laughs> to give good things to the world. Jesus came to love the world, not condemn the world. One of the reasons that we maybe spend so much time condemning the world is because of our own lack of generosity toward people. Because we are very stingy in our judgments. Because we don't show people grace. We don't show people trust. We don't assume that maybe this person in the Eagles parking lot or wherever <laughs> is just doing their best. What if we let John 3, verse 16 and 17 be the frame through which we see the world as a world full of people that God loves? He did not come to condemn. Now, John 3.18 goes on to say that doesn't mean that there's not eternal consequences for our choices, for 
belief or unbelief, but I'm fairly sure it's not our job to judge what's going on in a human's heart. If you read the rest of the Bible, you kind of get that, get to that place. John 3, 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son, which might be a slightly targeted finger point toward, who do you think? The Pharisees. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. What time of day is this again? It's dark. And this, so Jesus' word is a little bit of a rebuke, but you can also trust that it's a generous one because Jesus is engaging with Nicodemus. And this is not the last time Nicodemus shows up in the book of John, by the way. People love the darkness more than the light for their actions are evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. So even though it's dark, Nicodemus goes near to Jesus. And again, Jesus is turning this whole religious system on its head. You Pharisees think you do all sorts of good things, and I'm saying... You're doing evil <laughs> by making these laws that no one can reasonably live up to and using those laws, which are very convenient to your own lifestyle, Pharisees, to condemn everyone who's not like you. All who do evil hate the light, verse 20, and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. Later in John. I want to back up, though. It was referenced in the chosen clip where Jesus makes a reference to the bronze snake that is lifted up in the wilderness. So let's just, can we shoot over to Numbers chapter 21, verse 4? You can turn there in, their Bible, in your Bibles. This is after um, Moses leads the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, but they're still in the wilderness, so they haven't arrived in the promised land yet. And uh, if you read most of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's sort of like a long road trip where the kids in the back keep saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And Moses is like, no, <laughs> we're still in the wilderness. Only uh, these aren't children, they're adults. And they're not saying, are we there yet? Most of the time they're saying, can we just go back to Egypt? What? Can we go back to slavery? It, it was easier there. Which... Uh, well, there's lots of spiritual applications to uh, following Jesus is not a life of ease and comfort. It can be pretty hard. But anyway, <laughs> another day. Numbers 21, the bronze snake, verse 4. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, 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 taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with this long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? I don't know why I did a voice there. 
because I was trying to make them whiny. They're grumbling. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Which, <laughs> do you notice the contradiction in what they just said? There's nothing to eat, and we don't like the food you gave us. Uh, and God ha c consistently provides water for them when they need it. Anyway, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Theologically problematic, again, not for today, but look into it maybe on your own time or ask me about it. I don't have a full answer, but I have thoughts. Verse 7, then the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned, so now they're repenting. By speaking against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Nicodemus would have certainly known this story. Nicodemus remember, has the entire Old Testament memorized. And the symbols here in Numbers 21 are really significant for understanding what Jesus is going to do to accomplish his mission to save people from their sins. So the bronze is significant because when you look at the Torah, the first time bronze is brought up in a significant way to build something is, does anybody know? This is like Bible trivia. This is pretty hard. What in the tabernacle area was built out of bronze? What? Not the ark. I think that was gold. Not the mercy seat. The thing, the only thing, the only structure that's built of bronze is the basin where people who are going to go into the tabernacle, into the presence of God, first kind of wash. So the symbolism behind the bronze that the snake is made of is the idea of being cleansed or being washed. And the snake, well, what does a snake represent in the Bible? Evil, sin. So we have this bronze snake being put up onto a pole saying, if you look at this bronze snake, which represents both your sin and the healing, the cleansing that will come to you, then you will be like healed, made whole. And so Jesus is saying, there's going to be a day in the next few years where I am lifted up onto a pole, essentially, a cross. And up on that cross will be your what? Your sin and the way through which you will be saved. Whoever believes in me will not perish. Whoever puts their trust in me, whoever looks at the cross and is able to say, my sin is on that cross. It's, it's dying. And it's Jesus who gives 
me this new life. Because the cross is not the end of the story. You know that, right, guys? Jesus dies on a cross. But you know there are a lot of other people who claim to be the Messiah around the time of Jesus. But uh, the movement that they would start died out after they died. Because, that well, like they died and Rome is still here, so clearly false Messiah. Jesus dies, but according to the Bible account, doesn't stay dead. He raises to life again. And his disciples go on to start a movement called the church. And that's why we're here. Because the life of Jesus that comes to us and through the forgiveness of sins that were healed, that were forgiven because of the cross, is, is what we put our hope in. And by the way, it doesn't say, if you trust in Jesus, then you will in the future have eternal life. Sometimes we think of eternal life as a future thing. Like when we die, then we go to heaven and that's eternal life. No. If you look, if you look at the Greek, it is not you will have eternal life. Even the English actually is right. It says you have it. You are offered it today. Eternal life, the life of Jesus that comes to us through the Holy Spirit comes into you when you are born again. How are you born again? You look to Jesus. You move toward the light. The life of Jesus starts to flow into you. And the, the more you move toward him, the more you'll experience that new life. So come close. Recognize the generosity of God. Show that generosity to the world, just as he did, did and does. You stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are generous beyond what we can even understand. We ask that you would help us to be more like you in that way. Grow our hearts. Help us to love like you love. Some of us are actually feeling, I think, very spent, like we're empty. I see that as an invitation to look at Jesus again, to look at the riches of God's mercy again, to realize that the new life that Jesus offers us the forgiveness that he gives us means something, means everything. And so, God, we just, we repent. <laughs> we repent of our stingy hearts. We repent if we've turned away from you, if we've lost our focus, if we've changed the frame from a loving God who wants to save the world and looked at people as if they're an inconvenience or a, just a, an annoyance or a source of frustration. We repent. We see that you love the whole world. 
And so now as we worship, we ask that we would experience your love. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.